The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning, Fathom Church online. If I've yet to meet you, my name is Tim Yoder, and I'm the interim youth minister here. Uh, I'm th- just so thankful that you're here to be in community with us, especially if you haven't been here before. I mean, it's just kind of weird uh, being in an empty room uh, with, without you guys there. Um, so, but yeah, I'm especially thankful uh, that you continue to uh, come and just uh, socialize and just hear the God uh, words, God word of God preached um, every morning. So, um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to First Corinthians seven. Uh, we're going to go through the first five verses this morning. So many of you know by now, and I and I keep telling telling this story only because I'm biased and I. I think it's the best story ever, uh, aside from uh, Jesus, uh, every, basically every book of the Bible. Um, many of you by now uh, know that uh, Katie ha- and I have much to celebrate, Katie, my wife. And, and uh, we, have, we celebrate throughout the year because of what's happened in 2014. And that year is important to us because uh, in that year, I, I, came to, I came to the faith and I received my calling to ministry. And and that and that's good. That's great. Uh, but even 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 better um, in some ways for me is that uh, around that time, uh, Katie and I started dating, and we went through this whole six month period, and and we got married. And and I really love to uh, to reflect on that period. It's kind of like Lent or Advent, not of the same caliber, of course, um, it, where we uh, anticipate, you know, the the and, and look forward to the birth of Jesus and the resurrection and, and, and things like that, um, um, engaging in reflection. I like to do that with, with, those, with that six-month period and, and, and really just appreciate him for putting us together. But oddly enough, so many things have happened that it's, it's just mostly a blur. And but I do remember uh, one thought that came to mind right before our wedding. And it's just that I am about to be not single. It, it hit me like a ton of bricks all of a sudden. It, it was it, it literally minutes before we were about to go walk out. Me and my, uh, my side of the party, the wedding party, was going to walk out into the chapel. I, I, had, I had that thought and I started freaking out. Ask my friends. I was pacing back and forth, uh, and they basically had to sit me down uh, almost forcefully. So I sat there thinking, uh, waiting for my soon-to-be father-in-law uh, come in, uh, come to get us. And I was just thinking that uh, about all the things that would be expected of me uh, as a as a husband, like my clothes will have to go into a hamper. That, that's, a, that's a weird thought. I, didn't, I don't think I even owned a hamper when I was single. I, I was that kind of guy. I had the, my little man cave. I just, I just took my clothes and, and took the pile and just threw them in the wash. So I'll have to get a hamper now and be, and be all nice and tidy. Uh, I guess, I mean, I'll have to do dishes for more than one person. I mean, I, I maybe used like one plate a day. And a, and a glass, and I just washed that, and that, that was just fine. I, I draw the line at two people. I guess I'm the gas guy now. 
I have to make sure all our vehicles are gassed. I'm, I'm not saying these thoughts are irrational or, or make any sense. Um, I'm just saying that I, that I, had, I had these thoughts. I mean, I, I know I wanted to marry Katie, but I hadn't even considered all the, uh, all the different things, little things that a husband would be expected to do. What if I didn't do them? Would, would Katie get mad at me? I don't think she'd gotten mad at me at, the, at that point, at least not to my knowledge. And at this point, this, this, this line of thinking really devolved into having doubts, like, what am I doing? Uh, I have no idea what it's like to be a husband. I'm not qualified to be a husband to Katie. I'm not worthy of her. And I was just stuck in this in, in deep thought until my father-in-law came and told us it's time. And so we walk out and, and, I'm, and I'm waiting for my bride uh, at the head of the chapel and, uh, and I see her and, and all those thoughts just went away. Nothing else mattered. I may have not been sure of myself, but I was certain just as God is real that I'm going to marry this woman. And I was certain that as long as we kept God at the center of our marriage, everything was going to be just fine. So, so we come to uh, this part of our study in 1 Corinthians, right? Uh, in chapter 7, and it's about marriage. It's about different uh, aspects of it. And let me throw a few disclaimers out there just, just for, uh, in regards to this message. It, it will be about sex and marriage. So viewer discretion is advised. I'll, I'll let you determine that. Uh, for you singles, uh, this passage does not particularly apply to you. Not directly. It's good that you're here and we're thankful for that. So, and especially good so that you'll know what the church is about as it relates to marriage of a particular issue. Um, but if you're not married, um, it is my hope you don't have to worry about this at the moment. Um, but don't completely relax because Paul will dedicate a, a few verses just for you um, in defining singleness. So that's just a long winded way of saying, I'm talking to the married folk here. This is for you. So, so we're, we're going to go a little bit into the marriage of uh, marriage in the church and, and what it means to be married in a Christian. And I'll, and I'll say this as well. This is not Paul's complete view on marriage. You can find that in other places like Ephesians or, or Colossians. Uh, but what we're getting is Paul's theological reaction to something. He's speaking to a particular situation. So, so let, let's see what Paul is, uh, what's on Paul's mind when talking about marriage in the church in verse one. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, uh, let's just pause right there for a moment. Uh, there's a couple things we can glean just from, even just from these first few words. Uh, you'll notice as we read this morning, that this is really classic Paul. Uh, because whenever you see words like now concerning, or there's like quotations coming up, or, or, or something to that effect, he's beginning an argument. He's about to say something that, that, or, or address an issue that the church is facing. Um, and first, he'll state what, what he's saying against or what he's refuting, and then he'll form his argument. And then he always exhorts us with, with 
something to take home, you know, some point of application. This is what real life looks like. They'll say, what, what's wrong? Here's what's wrong about what you're doing. And, and what's, this is what you should be doing. And so we, ha- we have that. And then and the second clue that this gives us is that Paul uh, is addressing an issue uh, that the Corinthian church is facing. And we don't necessarily have uh, uh, or know if it's an ongoing issue uh, or, or something that's, uh, that they struggled with in the past. But we, we do think that Paul is addressing an issue based on a previous letter. And unfortunately, we don't have that letter, but uh, Paul... Uh, feels the need to address it at this point. And so it looks like uh, he's about to correct an issue or address, an, address something from a previously sent letter. Let's see what that is in the rest of the verse. I'll just read from the top. Uh, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. I mean, how many of you find this to be odd? What in the world is Paul talking about here? Is he actually suggesting that people were celibate in marriage, abstaining from sex in marriage? Is this a a problem that they had? Well, I mean, in in the Roman Empire, there was this uh, culture or a religious cult even um, of something called aestheticism, uh, which is an extreme form of depriving yourself of any kind of indulgence. Um, and, and one strand of this is that celibacy was celebrated even in marriage. And there were two groups related to this um, th- that may have been prevalent in the church. In the first, uh, some members may have you know, agreed with uh, something common to Greek thinkers, uh, which it was, sex was fine as long as you weren't committed to relationship. Uh, th- there was this sentiment that you, it was okay to indulge in certain pleasures um, as long as you were not committed. It, it, doesn't that sound familiar to our culture today? This is, this is why Paul was so adamant in, in, in the last chapter against sexual sin. And so, so we have that. And, 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 and the second group that, and we think Paul was directly speaking to this group, is that there was a practice within the church, members um, that were part of the church who were already married and were practicing celibacy. There, there was a growing sentiment that sex was dirty and, and something associated with sin and with Roman culture. And you know what? It, it was, to be fair. We, we touched on this before, but sex was all over the place at that time. And it came in a form of prostitution and temple worship, adultery and infidelity, debauchery. I mean, you really can't blame Christians for wanting uh, to be countercultural in this way. But, but Paul is saying, well, yeah, but you're kind of twisting things up a little bit. You, you got it all wrong. You see, we, we already know what he kind of wants to say uh, it, it, uh, just from that first verse. It, and, and this leads us to my first point. Marriage and sex are inseparable. 
marriage and sex are inseparable. It comes down to what's good and what's not good. The Corinthians actually have it backwards. It is good to have sexual relations when you're married. In fact, that is the only situation where sex is appropriate. Celibacy, abstaining from sex, is meant for those who are not married. But how should we, we should respond to this is to remember that marriage and sex are sacred and that that was God's intention. I mean, marriage, if marriage is the most intimate relationship between a man and a woman, then sex is the most intimate expression of that relationship. We should see this as a gift, not to be squandered or taken for granted. So, so Paul is arguing against this idea of, of celibacy and marriage being linked, but he's actually saying the opposite. Uh, let, let's see how he justifies it in verse two. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So, so this is really, this verse has been butchered um, over time. And I, I want to provide some clarity. Here's what Paul isn't saying. He's not offering uh, reasons uh, why people should or should not marry. Uh, he, he, what he does offer is reasons why sexual relations in marriage are binding and why uh, abstinence in marriage is both impractical and inappropriate. I mean, sex is, is for marriage. We've already established that, but celibacy, celibacy is also impractical because it stops you from having babies. I mean, and, and the sex thing, he, he's not arguing why marriage is bad, or, but why is in it, it's inadvisable for married partners to, have, uh, to stop having sex. I mean, it puts a damper in your relationship. There's, there needs to be intimacy in your marriage. And if there isn't, you're going to run into a whole lot of issues. And so there, here's another thing to consider. Is simply urging people to get married will not solve the overall issue of sexual immorality, but it will help. Here's, here's the rub. All, all things being equal, you are, you are more tempted to be sexually immoral uh, if you're having sex with your spouse than if you're not. You are less tempted to be sexually immoral if you're having sex with your spouse than if you're not. So that's my, my second point. Marriage prevents sexual immorality. It doesn't get rid of, the, uh, of sexual immorality or the possibility of it even, but it helps. I, I have a friend I, I used to work with. Um, actually, uh, um, I used to be a supervisor and he was just really difficult at times. Actually, uh, he was so difficult uh, because he, he was, when he was hungry, he made everyone's life miserable. And it's not like he meant to, because he was a nice guy. It, but when he was starving, he couldn't help it. He, he was just cranky, but like, like super cranky. You ever see those Snickers commercials? The, the world uh, would be ending basically. And, you know, the, you know, everything would be, 
there'd be explosions everywhere. And, and some guy would go up to his buddy and say, Harry, eat a Snickers. And he's like, why? Because you get cranky when you're hungry. You remember those commercials? I mean, well, this guy needed 10,000 Snickers. And, and this happened almost every shift. It'd be one thing if it only happened every so often. But after a while, I came up with the solution. Uh, e even though he'd be the last one to, to, to come in for a shift or at least one of the last ones, I would give him his break first. Uh, and it's okay. All of us were on board with it because we'd rather wait an extra half hour and, and, and wait longer to, to eat just to make this guy happy. And he'd come back from break and it'd work and he'd, all would be well. You know, sometimes it, it's, it's good to solve a problem before it happens. It never solved the overall issue uh, with this guy, which needed to be addressed. But it's better than the alternative. You see, we, we can't solve the overall problem of sin, but we can do everything we can to prevent it. Uh, only, only God can, can heal us of, of sexual immorality but we can do everything our can, we can for our part to prevent it in our marriages. And so we see that marriage and sex are inseparable. And we see that, that marriage actually prevents, helps prevent sex, homosexual immorality. Let's move on. Verse three. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. There it is. Marriage comes with conjugal rights. Conjugal, another word for, for sex. Guess what? Sex is a right. Paul would even go as far as to say, it's even your marital duty to have sex. This would have been unprecedented at the time, even controversial, despite the many views of sex in ancient culture. For example, Judaism taught and saw sex as a major duty of the husband, necessary for continuing the family line and necessary for inheritance, and because God mandated it. Uh, for Greeks, sex was about control and, and power, and, and men can essentially do whatever they want under certain conditions. And, I mean, fidelity was only demanded of the woman. But here's Paul's view in my third point, that, that marriage makes you responsible for your spouse's needs. Marriage makes you responsible for your spouse's needs. Sex is a mutual obligation between husband and wife. It, by, by being married, you're actually held accountable to meeting each other's needs. And we know this because each partner has authority over the body of his or her own spouse. What's yours just, isn't just yours anymore. And in this sense, you are equal partners because uh, you, you have given yourselves over to each other. In fact, both husband and wife are to recognize that their spouse has an even greater claim 
uh, on them than they have on themselves. Your body now belongs to your spouse. And, and don't misunderstand. This is, not, this is not about power and control. This is not excuse or legitimize any kind of spousal abuse. In fact, this is the opposite. This is about total marital surrender. I mean, marital surrender is consistent with who Christ is and, and what he's done for us. Uh, you, you are no longer your own. You actually belong to Christ. And just as Christ has surrendered himself on the cross, it, so shall we to one another in, uh, as a community, but even more so um, as a married couple. And, and just as we belong to Christ, you belong to your spouse. My wife, Katie, she has emotional needs, as, as all women do, right? I'll, I'll go ahead and put it out there, even though she hates it when I talk about her, because, well, she just gets embarrassed. I, I, I've, been, I've been in seminary the last couple of years, and, and the end of every semester is, is always difficult for us. There's finals and, and, and final projects and papers galore, and, and because I still haven't learned the lesson of doing these assignments ahead of time, I, I procrastinate until the due dates uh, come up, and I spend an inordinate amount of time uh, and energy on them. And we, I, we literally just went through this last week, and, and we were just talking about this when she confronted me saying, hey, don't forget about me. I'm still here. Because during this time, I'm fully focusing on my work and basically ignoring her. There's no excuse for that. that because I, I must make my bride my first priority. I, I'm responsible for meeting her emotional needs as her husband. And so, I mean, I repented of that. And, and, and I continue to repent of that and ask her for her forgiveness. I mean, marriage makes makes you responsible for each other's needs. And so, I mean, so we re we're really cl clarifying what, what it means to be married in the, in the church as it relates to, to, to sex. And because marriage and sex are inseparable and, and they prevent uh, sexual immorality. And, and that ultimately marriage makes you responsible for each other's needs but Paul gives us one more point to take home. Let's read in uh, verse five. Do not deprive one another. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul kind of brings it back around uh, for us that because uh, of our sinful nature and of, of our lack of self-control. It, it's, it's important that we give uh, what our spouses need. Uh, and so when it comes to matters of, of sex and, and marriage, we, we have to remember one thing, and this is my final point. Do not deprive one another. I mean, the Greek, the Greek word for Deprive actually looks more like rob or defraud. Literally, like you're, you're robbing one another. You're, you're cheating someone else out of what 
is properly his or hers. And if sex is a mutual right for, for both you and your spouse, then don't deprive one another. It is good, in fact, to, uh, to have sexual relations with your spouse. It is good to maintain and encourage intimacy in your marriage. And this is how it should be in every case. But we are given a little wiggle room. Uh, you see, we, you have to remember uh, Christ in all of this. As Christians, Christ is at the center of our marriages. He, he's, uh, and, and since we are, are one with our spouses, uh, God is really at, at the centerpiece of that oneness. But don't come to the point of idol worship. If we aren't careful, we, were, we will put our marriages before our worship of God. That's, that's a hard pill to swallow, but it happens. If, so if there is any reason to withhold sex from one another, it would be to reorient yourselves to God. God must always come first in your marriages. I mean, and, and specifically prayer is highlighted here, but I really think there's room for, for, for interpretation here, uh, whether that's worship or journaling or fasting or slowing down or any other spiritual discipline. Um, this is a perfect opportunity for you guys to do this together, to make it mutual. So if you're taking time to pray, pray together. Slow down together, fast together. But then come back together. Because here's a warning. The sexual drive is a powerful force. And Satan is a powerful adversary. If you wait too long, the enemy will use that abstinence against you. So come, come together and express your love for one another. Uh, for, for most of us, the, the holiday we look forward to most is, is what? Christmas, right? Why, why is Christmas our favorite holiday? Well, I would hope as, as Christians, we, we look forward to and, and anticipate the celebration of the incarnation of Christ. We, we celebrate and, and appreciate God coming down to us and in the flesh, and making his dwelling among us is literally the best birthday ever. But, but aside from that, why do we look forward to Christmas so much? Presents, right? I mean, the prospect, uh, and it could, this could be uh, partially part because of our culture, but uh, the prospect of getting something you didn't previously own for free just makes us excited. But, but in my opinion, uh, the best part about holidays is, is giving presents. Now, at, at, at this point, I'm probably give, getting a weird look from my uh, family because I suck at giving presents. Let me explain. I'm horrible at it. I, I, I always forget to, to shop ahead of time. It, it's really stressful going to the Walmart and, or to, to the mall or shopping on the Amazon and finding something for somebody. I don't know. That just gives me anxiety or something. I admit it. I, I hate shopping for presents, but I love the act of giving presents. And the reason I love uh, giving presents is because I get to watch the, the love and joy a person feels when they receive one. And it, it, it's what makes standing in line and, and, and going through all that trouble uh, worth it. You know what? I mean, sex is a gift. 
Do, don't deprive one another of the joy and intimacy of what you were given, which is each other. Experience the oneness that can, that can only happen by you being together. Don't deprive yourself or your spouse of that gift. Church, it's my prayer and my hope that your marriage relationships will, will be God-centered and that you will come together again in love and intimacy. Will you pray with me? Father, we, uh, we thank you for, for the people that you have put in our lives. But I mean, speaking on behalf of, uh, of us married folk here, I mean, I, I'm just so thankful for our spouses. So thankful for my own wife. Because um, without her, I, I, would, I wouldn't be anywhere um, near you because she's my rock. Th- thank you that, that you have created sex, that you have given us a, a way to, to be intimate with uh, one another and that uh, that can only be exclusive and, and just be with one person. So I just ask uh, today, Lord, that um, you just bless our marriages and bless our communities in that. In your name we pray, amen.